Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we will be joined in a little bit by Indiana shortstop Jeremy Houston to talk a little bit about the Hoosiers and their 2021 season and his decision to return for a fifth season in Bloomington. We'll get to that and more in a second, but first I want to tell you about Rapsodo, who presents the Baseball America College Podcast. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe. Uh, it's another week, um, another podcast. It is late September, starting to feel a lot like fall. Fall ball going on around the country, college football in full swing. Uh, it, is, uh, it is that time of year. No doubt about that. Yeah, for me, on, on top of that, you can add cold hands season. Uh, my hands are, I have a, uh, it's actually a condition. I have a condition uh, called Raynaud's syndrome. So shout out to all my uh, Raynaud's brothers and sisters out there. My hands get really cold, um, which as you can imagine is like super convenient and cool uh, at February and March games, um, especially when I was living in the Midwest. So I, yeah, I just spend a lot of time once the weather turns uh, trying to warm up my hands, whether that's you know, washing dishes in the sink, that's a good activity for warming your hands up. Uh, just really long hand washing sessions, which actually is actually pretty good. Yeah, consider- yeah no kidding. This year rather. Yeah, so that I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, so long hand washing sessions. I also bought an electronic hand warmer. Are people is, still like singing whatever songs they were singing back in March, when when you're washing your hands, like, like they're saying, you know, saying happy birthday to yourself or whatever. Like, are people still doing that? I wonder. I doubt it. I saw I saw a tweet. Um, what I would call mid-pandemic. You know, kind of once the initial wave had, had happened. I don't mean wave like in an epidemiological sense. I mean just in, in terms of. Um, you know, attention being paid to it, where someone had tweeted that, you know, I'm sad to report that I'm no longer washing my hands for 20 seconds. It's probably closer <laughs> to 10 or 12. But I mean, I think that's true. I, I just don't think people are probably are probably doing that. Um, so let, let's let's uh, let's try to get back to that. Although, we, you know, what we know now is, uh, you know, I don't want to wade these waters too much. But what we know now about how to, you know, prevent and protect yourself is a little different than we did back then. And it turns out hand washing, while important, is not necessarily you know, item number one, the list of important things to do to protect yourself. So I am not really probably doing as good a job as I should. I did go doing a little bit of outdoor dining um, periodically now. And um, there's a, a hotel in, in Durham that has like a rooftop dining situation. My fiance and I went a couple of weeks ago and I appreciated in their bathroom, they had a handy little card on the mirror 
that uh, gave you a little help for 20 seconds. And instead of happy birthday and kind of the songs that they had had, they had like uh, popular songs, not just current, but from the past. Um, there were 20 seconds long versions of them. Um, so if you're a fan of Lizzo's Truth Hurts, I have good news for you. Um, I think the chorus is about 20 seconds long. So that, that one was kind of nice, but there were, there were several options to choose from depending on what genre of music you like. So that was kind of, kind of neat, but I think your hunch is probably correct that just generally uh, Americans are probably not doing as good a job washing their hands as they were in say March and April. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that is almost certainly fair. I, um, you know, last week you asked if I'd watched any college football and uh, my answer was no. And my answer still is, is mostly no. Uh, but this week I had some college football content uh, on the website. Again, this is the Baseball America College Football Podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I ranked the top 15 uh, baseball players who are playing college football this fall. And I just wanted to note there were a couple notable absences from that list. Uh, and I, I wanted to mention them here. I'd encourage you to check out the full list topped by Maurice Hampton and Jerry and Ely, uh, both of whom got back into action this weekend as the SEC started play. Uh, but Cade Horton, not there. Uh, he's Oklahoma's top baseball recruit this year and was expected to, to play football. Uh, that, was, that was the word the whole time leading up to, you know, the spring and, and the draft and everything uh he began like he he went to 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 preseason camp with football but somewhere between the start of camp and the start of games for oklahoma he has has fallen off the roster so it looks like Cade horton going baseball only now uh for the sooners at least for this season but i would i would guess kind of that that's the that's the thing that's going on there and then um also at Stanford, Brock Jones played football as a freshman. He was a safety uh, for the Cardinal, kind of following in. Um, oh wow! Oh, John Lynch name name flashed flashed out of my mind for a second. Following in John Lynch's shoes there a little bit. Um, he is now not playing football this year. Just focused on baseball going forward. Very excited to see what Brock Jones can do. Uh, in a world where he's just focused on baseball, and I know the Stanford staff is as well. Um, so just a couple guys who were playing football, um, but now are, are, are looking at baseball only uh, in, in 2021 and, and likely beyond. I know you've done some version of this list for several years now. Do you find that the players who typically top this list are tend to be younger players who have not yet really – kind of diverged from saying they just want to play two sports. Cause it seems to me, we, we've talked about this before, but it seems to me that we get a lot of players that enter that way and, and a, a, a very seldom few can really pull it off. And then like, as time goes on, they kind of diverge and they kind of do one or the other, but I, I'm curious if the players at the top of the list are the ones that just haven't quite, you know, uh, figured out if they're going to go all baseball or all football just yet. So I haven't actually tracked this as long as some people on staff seem to think I have. <laughs> You're not the only person that works for BA that, that has, has made this, uh, you know, a, a similar comment to this. I definitely haven't been doing this since like, like Kyler's Heisman year kind of started me. Uh, you know, I was always interested in two sport guys. I like mentally tracked them, but I definitely wasn't like, 
diving in quite as deep as as I have the last few years. Um, I would say though that you know the last couple of years it's definitely been younger. Um, last year, you know, the the top guys on this year's list were the top guys on last year's list, and Hampton and Ely were freshmen then. Um, the one player that moved on to the NFL. Uh, or one of the, 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 the biggest name was Cole Komet, who was a true two-way uh, player at Notre or true, two, true two-sport player at Notre Dame. Um, but I do think there is something to the idea that it skews a little young. Uh, not only are, you know, there are a couple soft, you know, the top three players are all sophomores, Adam Berghorst at Michigan State, who isn't as famous as Elian Hampton. Um, in part because he plays for Michigan State as opposed to a you know team that was in the top five this year, and uh, also because he's better at baseball than he is at football, which is maybe not the case with Ely and Hampton. Uh, at least with Ely, Hampton's maybe a little closer to 50-50. But uh, so they're all sophomores, and then we have like a freshman and Nolan McLean and at, at Oklahoma State, and you know, so yeah, there are a lot of young kids there. I think some of that is is probably uh, that way. I I mean there are, there are older players as well. Felipe Franks is still on this list. Justin Fields is still on this list. Those are guys that don't play baseball in college. Although Felipe Franks has signed with the Red Sox, um, so he does have a professional opportunity if if football doesn't work out already. Uh, you know that they their spots are merited. They just aren't really doing, they've never done the baseball thing. So I think the true two sport guys, there are a lot of players that talk about wanting to do it, that show up wanting to do it, and then it just never quite happens for them. And so I think those guys maybe end up a little higher on the list because I default more to at the top of the list players who are currently playing baseball, like Justin Fields had a lot of raw tools in high school, but we haven't seen him play baseball since he was in high school. So how can he really rank ahead of some of these guys who are, who are currently, you know, playing the game. So I think the list is a little bit biased towards the younger players from that regard. But if you look a little further down the list, you, you still see some of the older players. They just fall a little bit because I'm a little less sure of their, current baseball playing ability if they haven't actually suited up to do it for a couple of years. It seems like we're due for a good, um, let me back up. You know how when you're a kid and sometimes your perception of things as a, you look back and you realize your perceptions of things when you were a kid were just way off from what they were. This might be an instance where that's the case. So let me be clear about that up front, but it feels like we're due for one of those will they, won't they situations with, I remember when I was a kid, Drew Henson, was a was a, a two sport guy played minor league baseball, um, also had played football and I maybe it's partially because growing up in Texas you know he was I guess the Cowboys had his rights as a football player so that maybe added to the intrigue a little bit but there was it, it feels like it was a big storyline that it was always like is Drew Henson going to commit to football is Drew Henson going to play football is and I guess maybe we got that a little with Kyler but this was a multi year thing with Drew Henson it felt like and again. Could it just be that I saw it on SportsCenter like three times over the course of eight months and that feels like it was a year-by-year thing? Absolutely. But it does feel like it's been a long time since we've had one of those kind of will-they-won't days where it's like, of course, there's a little bit of a negative side of that too because typically it means that 
option A for that person did not exactly pan out. So they have to kind of go to option B athletically. But it feels like that used to be kind of a subgenre that we just haven't seen a ton of in recent years. I think we're due for something like that. Yeah, I don't know quite why that is. Um, you know, I, I my initial thought when you were talking was that like we just got that with Kyler, but uh, it did that did play out over a matter of months was all uh, rather than you know a, a big time uh, and a, or a football player going into minor league baseball. Um, you know, I Cole Stewart. And Archie Bradley both had big time um, football talent, but were drafted in the top 10 picks. Obviously, both have now made the major leagues, so they've kind of avoided the, you know, any temptation about returning to, to their football roots. I, I, yeah, I don't know if it's just a matter of guys being more committed to, to one sport earlier on, if that's a part of this, or, you know, if it's, if it's just a freak thing. But uh, yeah, there there haven't been all that many. Uh, that, that you're right, there hasn't been that kind of question about anyone. You know, I, I feel like there were some rumblings with Bubba Starling as he struggled a little bit for a couple of years there in the Royals system. Like, is he going to go back and and give it a go at at football? He was committed to Nebraska to play football, um, but that I that never really took off. So. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while since Chris Wanky, you know, went back and, and won a Heisman or, or Drew Henson did his thing. So, uh, you know, who knows, but, you know, right now, uh, the thing, the, the trend seems to be more trying to play both sports in college, if you want to give it a go rather than, than signing to play pro baseball. Yeah. I wonder if some of it too, just has to do with the fact that the scouting element, both, I mean, primarily at the pro level, but also at the college level, perhaps is just a lot less inclined to take flyers these days because it's gotten so, so good. It's gotten so sophisticated that, you know, perhaps I'm wrong on this, but I I don't remember Drew Hinson really being a part of like Michigan baseball when he was in college, like, you know, but the Yankees kind of just took a flyer. And so I just don't, I don't know that that kind of thing really, would happen as much today just because the scouting aspect has gotten so sophisticated. And, and I think organizations are just kind of really adverse, really risk averse in terms of taking on guys who aren't going to provide some value down the road. But uh, I don't know, that's just a completely off the cuff thought. Yeah. I'd have to like look back at the Drew Henson situation more, but I mean, Felipe Franks got, just got a flyer taken on him. The Red Sox have just not yeah, I guess required him to do anything baseball-wise, particularly. Shea Patterson, same deal um, with the Rangers, uh, was allowed to just keep playing football. Uh, and They were going to figure it out later. You know, Russell Wilson is really the last person this applies to in any way. And then he went out and had the, uh, the Wisconsin season where he was a Heisman finalist. And that was all she wrote for baseball for, for Russell Wilson. But he was the last guy that this might have like truly been applicable to, I feel like. But I think even still, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't there a deal where after Russell Wilson had kind of been established with the Seahawks, like he was definitely a dude in the NFL. His rights got uh, The Rangers exchanged. picked him in the Rule 5 draft, but that was exclusively because they wanted to have Russell Wilson, the leadership coach, right. come to camp right. with them. Right. And, it wasn't, and no. let Russell Wilson know that if for whatever reason 
yes. ever wanted to come play baseball, they were open to that idea. Yeah. But mostly they just want, they thought he would be a positive impact influence on, uh, on their prospects. And frankly, they, they probably got something out of that. It was a very low investment to make that pick. Like, I think that pick is, cause I think it was a minor league rule five pick, which JJ, uh, Cooper can can tell us exactly how much you have to pay for those, but I want to say it's like fifteen thousand dollars or something. So pretty yeah. minimal expense to get Russell Wilson in to be your exclusive like um, TED talker or yeah. uh, leadership coach. Yeah, that you know you're right. I mean, no one serious was was looking at it as like, oh, maybe the Rangers are going to pull Russell Wilson away from football, or at least let him try to do a Deion Sanders thing. I don't think anyone was really seriously thinking that. In part because I think anyone that seriously looked at it would would kind of look at it and realize that uh, Russell Wilson tried this baseball thing, and, and no disrespect, but if he was going to be a big leaguer, he probably would have been a big leaguer. So um, there's also that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, if you want to check out who which baseball players to follow this fall as college football continues to to get underway, uh, again, check that out over at the website not a great um or not not any uh big time nfl prospects uh th this year not like cole Komet, who is a second round pick or kyler murray who was obviously the first overall pick the last two years but uh there are still some very good players there and you know if you look a year in advance uh ely is already getting talked about as one of the best running backs potentially in his draft class uh if he continues to progress and Maurice Hampton um, certainly is in the right program uh, if he wants to be uh, considered for, for the NFL draft because LSU just, I believe, had the most players drafted uh, last year. So uh, we'll see where those guys go, uh, both in baseball and football. Uh, very interesting decisions for them, uh, you know, in the, in the years to come. All right, so with that, let's get to uh, Jeremy Houston uh, with Indiana. Jeremy is not a two-sport player, but he has been Indiana's starting shortstop pretty much uh, every day for the last four years. An impressive run there with the Hoosiers, and we want to have him on to, like I said, talk a little bit about his decision to return to Indiana and talk about the Hoosiers. Looking ahead to 2021, they continue to be one of the, you know, the, the premier teams in the Big Ten. They are, I guess, still the uh, the reigning Big Ten champs since there was no 2020 champ crowned. Uh, they they did win in 2019, chasing down down Michigan at the end of the season. Uh, so we've got a lot to get into with Jeremy Houston. Before we do that, though, let's bring in another word from our sponsor, MyBookie. It's summertime, and at MyBookie, that can only mean one thing: it's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, and then some. The craziest sports summer of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. 
Remember, that's promo code BASEBALLAMERICA to double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. All right, let's, uh, let's bring on Jeremy Houston and let's talk some, some Indiana baseball. Today, we're very excited to welcome Indiana shortstop Jeremy Houston into the Baseball America College podcast. Jeremy, it's, uh, it, it's been a, a strange summer, but you, you're kind of back rolling now at Indiana. I'm sure just, you know, that, that was a great feeling, I have to imagine, to be able to get back with your teammates a little bit here after what has been a very long offseason. Yeah, definitely. But first, I want to start off by saying uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a pleasure. I, I'm a huge Baseball America fan, so that's really cool. And I got the text from my, <laughs> one of our uh, staff. But, yeah, it's really exciting getting back with the guys and with the coaches and um, just getting back in the baseball field and taking ground balls on our field, hitting on our field. It's really cool to see. So I'm excited for things to come up, and um, I'm excited for the future, definitely. Well, it's now – Let's go back to the spring. Uh, the season gets canceled. There's a lot of talk about what's going to happen eligibility-wise. You're a senior. Uh, and then ultimately, it gets decided that everyone's getting the year back. Uh, mm -hmm. By this time, it's late March, early April. What What are you thinking at that time? And how do you go about deciding whether you're going to return to Indiana for a fifth year or not? Definitely. So, um, you know, well, I graduate this December. So I was supposed to come back to Indiana to finish off school. So I was just waiting on the eligibility part to be uh, verified. And after they said that, I was all for it. So, um, yeah, my, my road was pretty smooth. But then we got guys like uh, guys that came in with me, like Cal Kruger and those guys who, I mean, they graduate in the spring and they had to make the tough decision to, you know, start their work and continue on with their lives. So. Uh, I kind of saw both sides of it. Cal and I we were really close, so that was uh, that was definitely a bittersweet uh, feeling, just not knowing that I didn't get to finish our college career all together because we, you know, we've been talking about that for a while. So, yeah. What did the summer look like for you? Obviously, it was kind of a, a unique summer for all college baseball players. But what did it look like for you in terms of, you know, staying in shape, getting some work in, but also off the field? I have to imagine that it was it was unique and that there was just a lot of uncertainty about what the future would hold yeah definitely so i was here in bloomington for i think the first three months it was me my roommates and i so me cal Kruger, and then we had uh mateo petrosino and matthew gorski uh we were all here in bloomington just chilling around and um we, we would go outside you know play around try and get some listing at the baseball field not inside but like uh gorski and i well gorski bought some weights down and we were fortunate to um be able to lift outside of the baseball field. We'll bring them there and uh, get a little workout in. And then we'll honestly just go back home and chill there. We'll cook some food, play some video games, and I guess just talk a lot. So <laughs> that's about it. How, how long had it been since you'd had kind of an extended time like that where you were able to take a break from the game? And uh, I mean, you're still doing some work, but you're not playing games. You know, I imagine it had been a while since you had anything like that in, in your life. Honestly, I don't think I've ever had that much time away from basketball, from baseball, in my, away from baseball in my life. Because like, um, when I was younger, I would I would play baseball in the summer, of course, and then we would go right into fall ball, and right after fall ball, we'll go right into winter workout. So I mean, we pretty much had a college schedule when I was younger. So yeah, I, I never really had time away from baseball. Uh, so this this summer was definitely unique, and um, I, <laughs> I wasn't really ready for it. So. 
Um, but it's cool to be back. I'm excited. I'm excited to see all the, the newbies there and all the old teammates there, of course. So, I read back in the in an article in the spring you had you had mentioned that uh, this 2020 team was particularly close. So it, it had to have been disappointing the season in the way it way it did. Take us a little bit into that. Why is it that that team you had last season was so close? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we were really close. I mean, inside the locker room, we all just loved each other. We all had that same goal. We all wanted to go to Omaha and win a Big Ten championship. I mean, we came there together, the senior class, and we, we all envisioned this one goal and going to Omaha our senior year or our freshman year, but we weren't able, we weren't fortunate to do it our first three years. So this is definitely going to be the year in our minds, and it being cut short was definitely a, a dagger in our hearts. And, um, you know, but I think uh, a lot of our guys, we, we just all share that one goal, and we all know what we want to accomplish, and we were, we were going to do anything to accomplish that, so. You were coming off of a Big Ten title um, in 2019. That year, you know, you guys kind of chased the title down at the end of the season. What um what went into that run, and, and just what what was that experience like winning the the Big Ten championship? Definitely, it was it was. I mean, it was one of the coolest things, probably the coolest thing I've ever experienced in Bloomington. Uh, I don't know. We just got hot at the right time. Unfortunately, we we weren't hot enough in our regional. To go into a super regional, but those last few uh, those last few weekends in the Big Ten were crucial. I mean, we played some really good teams, but uh, as Coach Mercer always says, the team with two outs and two strikes, uh, the team who plays best with two strikes and two outs wins the most. So I mean, we got we we were really hot with two strikes and two outs. We we got really hot at the right time. We were hitting the ball. We were pitching well. We were fielding well. So it was a great thing to see. So um, yeah, it was really exciting. You mentioned Coach Mercer there. He takes over for Coach Limonis after the 2018 season, and you guys really didn't miss a beat there. Um, what made that transition so seamless for you guys? Definitely. I think everybody just fell right into the system with Coach Mercer. I mean, he came in, he, he told us what he wanted to accomplish, and right after that, I think our seniors and our upperclassmen, we, we just attached on to him. Like, we, we listened to everything he said. He was a great developer. He came right in and developed the guys like no other I mean it was it was really cool to see I mean we learned a lot about baseball that year and I mean we had the Matt Lloyds of course and that kid he's on to do some great things and so yeah it was we definitely had the right leadership we had the, the great coaching staff come aboard and just you know we didn't we didn't miss a beat like you guys said they developed us to be the team that we were and we accomplished the goal that we wanted to so so you've been starting shortstop Pretty much since the since day one at Indiana, what allows you to come in and uh, and, and just be ready to play at that level in the Big Ten uh, so quickly? Yeah, uh, I mean, it was countless hours at home doing defensive work with my parents and my brothers. I mean, my brother, my oldest brother, went to Oregon to play uh, baseball and then transferred to Mizzou. And I mean, everything he knows about defense, he instilled in me. And I think that was really important because. Uh, when I was in high school, I was playing defense like him pretty much. So that, that was definitely important. And uh, I just carried that on to college. I, I, was, I wasn't always the best offensive player, and I figured that'll come. So uh, I just came in, and I played the best defense that I could. And, I, I mean, that got, me into the, that got me into the lineup the first day here. So uh, that was really exciting. Um, fortunately, I was able to do that the next four years. And we'll see how this, this year goes, but I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> You mentioned, you know, being a senior, now you're going to be a fifth-year senior. So I'm curious how you 
how you've seen yourself develop a little bit as a leader, um, how you lead and, and what kind of leader you see yourself as. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my freshman year, we had guys such as Tony Butler, Craig Didolo, and uh, those guys, they, I mean, they were some of the best teammates I've had. And I mean, just learn, just being able to learn from them, from their mistakes and their, I mean, accomplishments were huge. Then my sophomore year, we had Logan Sowers and, 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 uh, I like to shout out to like some of the players who didn't play and you guys didn't get to see all the time. Like Chris Lowe, one of my favorite guys ever. He was one of my favorite teammates. He did everything that, you know, that no one really sees, but like he was always there. He was always working really, really hard. And I just appreciated that. And then, um, yeah, I took those things and I just tried to instill into myself to uh, pour into the younger guys that's coming in to the, to always, you know, think positive and always work hard. And, um, I mean, if they need anything, they can always come to me for, for help. And uh, I'll, I'll be right there with them uh, through thick and thin, no matter who they are and no matter what position they play. So. so let's look ahead now to 2021. What is it that excites you about the Hoosiers in the spring? Definitely. I mean, we got a lot of people coming back. We pretty much got everyone coming back. I think the only person that we really lost was uh, Elijah Dunham and then some transfers, of course. So. I mean, not having Elijah would be would definitely be a, a dagger to the heart. But I think we I think we filled that role up with some of the transfers we got in, and even some of the freshmen that came in too. They're really really good. So I think um, I think we'll have the team to go as far as we want. It's just a matter of us playing great baseball. We have the great pitching with Gabe Beerman and McKay Brown, Connor Manis, Braden Scott, and then we got the the hitting and the fielding too. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens. I know Coach Mercer is going to develop. This fall is going to be really important, of course. He's going to develop us to be the best team we can be. And then when we come back in January or February, um, that's when we get things rolling. So, yeah, hopefully we can be the best team around maybe April, no, May, May and June, and uh, see what happens. I read a, a Q&A you did for IUHoosiers.com not long after the season got canceled. And one of the things I noted there is you said you were currently watching One Tree Hill. And uh, so I'd like you to sell me and the listeners on watching One Tree Hill. Give me like the pitch on what it is about One Tree Hill you're enjoying and, and no shots. Cause like I, you know, I grew up with One Tree Hill, like I'm familiar with the show, but I want you to sell me and the listeners on, on what it is about that show and, and why we should be watching it as well. Definitely. I mean, so it has everything. I mean, it has the drama, it has the love. I mean, Lucas, Scott, Peyton, Brooke, some of the best characters I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was, it's, it's so many things to look forward to is ups and downs. I mean, I don't, it's really tough. Have Did you watched, have that? you watched Gilmore girls? It's a similar show. It came on, on, on the CW kind of at the same time. It's got a lot of that stuff. It's like strong female characters. It's like a mother daughter story. It's got character growth. It's, you know, she goes from private school to college. It's a coming of age story. That's, it's a similar recommendation. I feel like to one tree hill. Really? I've never heard of that, but I, I, maybe I'll give it a shot. I think it's on Netflix. It's actually. on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I might have to give it a shot then. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. We're, we're trading recommendations here, Teddy. That's what, we, that's what we got going on. CW recommendations from, what, like the early 2000s? Yeah, that's that, was, here. that was like peak like teen dramas on CW. They had One Tree Hill. Dawson's Creek had come and gone okay. by that point. Gilmore I mean, Girls was, was, my, was my jam. 
honestly, you can never be disappointed with those types of shows. I'm a big fan of uh, Grey's Anatomy, too. Like, all eight, 17 seasons I've watched, so it's really exciting. That show, <laughs> that, show is still, I can't, that show is still on. I cannot believe that. I know. It's really exciting. I love it. <laughs> all right, we've got another very important question here. Mm-hmm. Describe your favorite sandwich for us. All right, my favorite sandwich. Wow. Okay, uh, I'm a really plain, simple guy. I just, like... If I'm having like a sandwich from Subway, I'd have some Italian bread specifically. That's the only type of bread I'll eat. And then I'll have um, roast beef or turkey or roast beef and turkey. It doesn't matter. Sprinkle a couple uh, uh, banana peppers on it and then just put some mustard on it. The entire thing, a little extra mustard. I would love that. And that would be perfect for me. And then if I was having like a burger or something, it would still be really plain. It would just be a hamburger, grilled onions, some ketchup and mustard and call it a day. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like if, if, if the burger is, especially with a burger, if the burger is good enough, you don't, you don't really need to dress it up too much. Cause it's all about how juicy that the patty is, you know, and like yeah, what kind definitely. of bun you're working with. Definitely. But it's also weird. Cause people, so people call me weird. Cause I don't like cheese. I don't really like cheese on anything. I only like cheese when I'm eating queso or some type of nachos, but like on a burger or a sandwich, I'd rather just have it plain. Just, yeah. If, like you said, if the meat's, great i mean you don't need anything else to make it greater so i don't know i hear you what so uh, you're you're from mount carmel high school chicago mm-hmm. land area i'm curious who you see as the best athlete to come out of mount carmel is it mcnab antoine walker simeon rice chris chelios somebody else that we're missing what's your take on that definitely so it's it's tough because I've, i also played with some great athletes and i hear about the great athletes that were before me I would obviously have to say someone like Donovan McNabb or uh, Antoine Walker, right? Right, Antoine Walker, yeah. Yeah, Antoine Walker. But there was one kid, and I'm sure a lot of people in the baseball world knows, Alec Thomas, one of the best athletes I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, he does it all, football, basketball, baseball. I mean, he was going to Oregon to play. I think, no, he was going to TCU to play football and baseball, so – I mean, that kid did everything. He was by far one of the greatest athletes I've seen. And then I think um, earlier this spring, he made it to the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, the the 40-man. I don't know if he made the 40-man roster, but he was down there. I, I think he's a part of their their summer camp. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. The, the, the player pool. Yeah. So he was down there playing out there. So um, I would have to say <clears throat> Alec Thomas, but I'm sure a lot of people would definitely say Donovan McNabb or Antoine Jameson. Or Antoine Walker, I'm sorry. I don't know why I keep saying Antoine Jameson. Hey, Antoine Jameson was pretty good, too. So, I mean, out, yeah. out here, where we're from in North Carolina, he's pretty popular out here. So, yeah. you, also, I mean, you, you're obviously a few years older than him, but Ed Howard just came out of Mount Carmel. What do you know about Ed Howard at all? Do you know him at all? Like, what do you know about his game? Yeah, definitely. So, interesting. My, my little brother and Ed Howard, they were the best of friends. My little brother actually played on the Jackie Robinson team with Ed Howard. And then after that, they played baseball together for the rest of their lives. Well, until now. They went to the same – well, they play on the same elementary school team. And then uh, they both went to Mount Carmel together too. So, yeah, I definitely know Ed. He's a great player, great kid too. I love that kid. Uh, I mean, he does it all. I can't wait to see how his uh, career goes with the Cubs. He is a defensive guru, one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see him uh, go, through the, go through the system and uh, see what happens. I uh, wanted to and bring this back slightly more serious here. Um, you, we, we, we've seen a lot of 
you know, discussions about, you know, racial justice and social justice this summer. And, you know, the Big Ten has been a part of those. And I, I just wondered what, if any, things have you seen around Indiana or, or specifically the baseball program is, um, you know, th that kind of stuff has, uh, has progressed and uh, people have been talking about that a lot more uh, over the course of this summer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think Indiana University specifically does a great job at being really hands-on with the athletes and knowing that, uh, or letting the athletes know that if anything were like that were to happen to them, I mean, they're there for them, like no matter what. And I mean, just as everybody else is learning, I'm still learning too. Like we have one teammate of mine, Colin Hopkins, our catcher. He's he's really into that stuff. And every day, I mean, me and him are talking about something new regarding that. So that's really cool. And I don't know. I mean, Indiana University, I think it's definitely, it's a place where everyone's still learning. And I mean, it seems like uh, everyone accepts everyone accepts anyone with any open arms. And that's really cool to see. I don't think we've had anything too crazy going except one incident that happened at one of the lakes here this this summer. And I mean, after that, I mean, the athletic department immediately reached out to the uh, student athletes and said, if anything like this were to happen or has happened to let them know and, you know, they'll do anything that they can to prevent that along with the city of Bloomington. So I don't know. Um, I definitely think things are evolving around here and uh, Bloomington as a whole, we're as close as can be. So uh, that's exciting to see. And um, hopefully things could change in the future. And, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Always uh, just a, uh... You know, always, always something to, to continue to be growing. Probably never something that, that ever, anyone will ever be fully satisfied on. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just want to see that continued progress. Uh, so last question here from us. Uh, you know, as, as we look towards the, this 2021 season, I guess th this now has to be your last season unless something else <laughs> crazy happens, I suppose. What, what kind of things are you going to, you know, maybe take pleasure or, or take note of since you're coming back and, and um, you know, you didn't get to do them, you know, last season as your senior season, what are you looking for from your senior season this year? Um, I'm looking forward to opening day. Um, I mean, that's always a really cool place. I mean, a really cool time. And actually it's even better because we open up on my birthday every year, which is really cool Valentine's day. So I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, just taking a feel with my, some of my team or all of my teammates and at the bar Kaufman. I mean, that's such a special place. Hopefully we can have some fans there, but in, in the spring, that's always something I look forward to. And I mean, senior night is going to be really special. Uh, taking a feel with all the guys that I came in with, or some of the guys I came in with is uh, always a cool moment. And then hopefully holding up some hardware uh, at the, at the beginning of May and at the end of June or July. So uh, taking it one step at a time, of course, but, you know, I'm looking forward to those things and uh, hopefully seeing some good baseball in the spring. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, we'll be looking forward to that as well from Indiana. I'm excited to see what the Hoosiers have. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what you guys are, are able to cook up in 2021, but we'll be excited to watch you. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us here on the, the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. This is uh, something that's really cool. And I'll, I'll be able to show my parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you again to Indiana shortstop Jeremy Houston for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, always, uh, always good to 
to get to uh, get to hear from a player. And Jeremy uh, has has been around a lot for Indiana. Like I said, playing pretty much, uh, he became the starting shortstop right away for the Hoosiers, and he's uh, he's done a lot for them over the last few years. Won a Big Ten title, played in several regionals, and, and now he's coming back for that fifth year. Yeah, he's he's seen a lot of really good Indiana baseball. I mean, that really can't be can't be overstated. Uh, you know, three he's you know three full years. You know, obviously plus the the shortened twenty twenty season, but three years, three regionals, a Big Ten title, um, and he's he's been right in the middle of it all. Um, you know, he, he's a uh, he, he's a fun player to watch. You know, he's he's really good defensively, and that that's his calling card. He mentions that. I mean, just provide the defense he provides. At shortstop, you can also just kind of see it in the way he interacts with teammates and the way he carries himself on the field. You know, I, living in the Midwest before, I, I saw a pretty good amount of Indiana baseball. And you could tell early on, even when he was younger, that there was just a way he kind of carried himself. It was going to portend good things for um, for when he was an upperclassman and being able to hold a leadership role. He was never really overwhelmed by the moment. Um, and it's it's been a good he's he's had a good head on his shoulders from what I could tell as far as dealing with with look the fact that offensively he probably hasn't always had the success that he would want to have um, and yet you know a I think it's important to note that even despite that he continues to start at shortstop because that's the value he brings even outside of that and b the fact that uh, you know he is a resilient kid and the fact that that he understands bringing value to the club in a lot of different ways. And he expresses that in the way he plays defense and the way he he leads. That being said, I've always been a little bit bullish on his offensive um, ability. I, I think it it is it is in there, and he does a good job of kind of, you know, running balls out and making things happen with his legs a little bit to tr- to try to maybe play his offense up a little bit. So, um, and it, I think for the the just from the perspective of our interview, he's also really at ease, really fun to talk to. I mean, that's one of the more fun. We've had a couple of really fun player interviews in the last few weeks with Mason Black at Lehigh and now Jeremy Houston from Indiana. And I think the the commonality between those two players is they were just really comfortable. I mean, you and I and, and the listeners have, I'm sure, heard interviews that we've done with players where it's clear that while they are are, are very nice and generous with their time and, and, and all of that, they're just not 100% comfortable in the medium. And I get that. I probably would not have been at the age of 19, 20, 21, either being on a podcast, it's going to go out to thousands of people, but those two guys both really were, you wouldn't have known. Um, you know, the listeners couldn't hear this, but before we even went on the air with Jeremy, you know, usually there's like a little period of time where we say, you know, hi, how's it going? And there's like, usually, and usually that's kind of the extent of it. It's a hi, how's it going? And they say, I'm good. How are you? And then, then we kind of move on to walking them through what the logistics of the interview are going to be like. Um, you know, and Jeremy was unique in that he asked us, um, you know, he asked us some questions about us. Like he just kind of wanted to know how things were going for us and, you know, what all we were working on at BA and um, which was refreshing and kind of cool. So, um, you know, obviously listeners don't get to hear that, but that's just kind of a little a background on the type of guy he was. He genuinely cared about um, what was going on in our world, which was, was kind of neat. So fun interview, one of the best we've done. And, um, and look, like I said, uh, relevant because I think Indiana is going to be right back in the mix in 2021. I think Jeremy Houston's going to be right back out there at shortstop, um, providing a lot of value as he's done throughout his entire career. Yeah. I mean, when you look at his season this year, he only hit 130. That's uh, six for 46, but he still drew 11 walks. Uh, he stole three bases and obviously he provides, you know, he's, 
probably the best defensive shortstop in the Big Ten. Um, I at least offhandedly can't think of anyone that even comes close. Um, let me know who I'm missing, I guess. But, you know, he's uh, that, that's the kind of guy you want out there, just a, a steady senior to, to kind of captain your defense. And then you look around him at the Hoosiers and they, you know, I know, Joe, you saw them when they were playing in the LeClaire Classic at East Carolina going two and one, including a, a pretty resounding win against TCU on a Friday night. Uh, but then they went home and they lost a series to San Diego. Uh, you know, USD wasn't a bad team by any means. They were 12 and four on the, on the year and, and off to a pretty good start there. Obviously, that, that wasn't the only good thing San Diego had on, a, on its early season resume, but that was a little, that was not what I expected. I'm pretty sure it was pretty cold that weekend in Bloomington. And I just kind of thought USD might literally freeze up out there. And that's not what happened. Um, you know, so I, I don't quite know what to make of that weekend other than it was just an early season, you know, non-conference weekend. Sometimes things happen, but Indiana finishes at nine and six definitely looked like they were going to contend in the big 10. Um, you know, Grant Richardson broke out with a, a big time season. They return most of that lineup. Uh, the pitching staff is, you know, that's been one of the most consistent things about Indiana, I would say, uh, at least, you know, when they were going to the World Series under Tracy Smith, obviously the big bats were the focus with Schwarber and Travis kind of leading the way. But I would say one of the most consistent things about Indiana throughout this run for the last decade has been that they've pitched at a really consistently high level. And, you know, that that seemed to be, uh, you know, continuing this year. And I would say, you know, they, they're still set up to, to pitch it pretty well. But, you know, they're, they're, their offense is set up very well as well. I, I just think that overall they look like one of the best teams in the Big Ten going into next year. Obviously, we have Michigan as the favorite. They're the ones ranked in the top 25, but I don't think Indiana is is terribly far off that right now. Yeah, I would agree. I also agree with your assessment that it's they, they can beat you in a lot of different a lot of different ways, but I, I think that's also in, in the way that you, you kind of look at the makeup of your team and you think, oh, they've, they've got pretty good balance. They can they can beat you by putting double-digit runs on you, which they did, you know, a few different times in 2020. Uh, they can beat you because they got a really good start from a starting pitcher. They've got some bullpen depth. But I think the flip side of that is part of the reason they have so much balance is because I think they were still kind of looking for some consistency in 2020. And they, they the offense would would sometimes be a little bit flat. There was at least one of those games against San Diego where that was that was the case. And look, you, some of that you just have to put on good pitching. You know, occasionally that's just going to happen. The other thing is that I I really like Tommy Summer. I've been a fan of Tommy Summer for a while. I also like Gabe Beerman, and I've gotten you know just there, I've heard good things about a lot of the Indiana pitchers that were out in summer ball. So I think maybe there's reason to be bullish there too. But you know there was there really wasn't um, you know a, a big time. Friday arm here there wasn't a guy that that was you know going to go out and um, you know really dominate the game in a traditional sense um, you know I saw you know when I saw Indiana that weekend in Greenville I mean Tommy Summer did kind of the what I like to call the the disappearing or the yo-yo act where he just kind of was keeping the ball on a string and was mixing in change-ups and you know put moving the fastball around and kind of doing all that kind of stuff which can be extremely effective but 
I didn't know if there was really a dude um, in, in the rotation and, and maybe we just didn't have time to find out if it was, if it was, for instance, Gabe Bierman. Um, so maybe that's TBD on that, but I, I do think that's kind of the flip side of looking at them and, and noting the balance is that it's also that you don't look at the pitching staff and go like, Oh man, there's, you know, this, this pitching staff is stacked. There's a whole bunch of dudes here or, and you don't look at the office and sit offense and say, man, there's a whole lot of depth here because they, they still did on offense. They had a couple of guys, like you mentioned, get off to really quick starts. The other piece of that I think is that they also were still waiting on some guys. And I think that's kind of how you saw some of that inconsistency. So um, that's kind of, I think a battle they're going to continue to fight. I'm interested to see in, in 2021, I, I would not bet. I would not bet against, I should say, I would not bet against, one or more of those units taking a step forward. I'm not suggesting that can't change. And all of a sudden we look up and maybe it's a, a, a big time arm like McCade Brown, who, you know, uh, looked good in the summer, has always had good stuff. Um, it, Jeff Mercer has always thought really highly of McCade Brown. He just hasn't put it together yet. Maybe that's a guy who, who really steps up and it changes the way we think about the pitching staff or maybe offensively we come back next year and it's not just, you know, Grant Richardson and Drew Ashley, but hey, there's these three or four other guys who maybe didn't get off to great starts in 2020, but now they've arrived. So I'm not closed off to changing my mind about that, but I just think as far as what the team was in 2020, I think we were going to see a little bit of inconsistency until we saw one or both of those units kind of step up and, and prove that they were more than, than what, what we saw early on in the season. Well, I mean, I would say that the best bet for that is probably the offense. Um, because Richardson's back and now, I mean, he's got to repeat what he was doing and I'm not suggesting that he's going to hit 424 over the course of an entire season. Uh, but, you know, if he can reasonably do something like that again, Drew Ashley can, uh, you know, provide something as well. Like Cole Barr was a guy they were really excited to have back last year. He'd been a draft eligible sophomore in 19. He returned for his junior season I don't want to say he got draftitis. I don't know the situation perfectly well, uh, but he did end the season hitting 246. What does it look like now that he has another year under his belt and, you know, maybe is a little more comfortable in the idea that, you know, like if, if there was any amount of, of draft concern going through his head, you know, what is the last year done to eliminate that? Um, you know, I, I, I'd be curious about that. And if, if he can take a step forward, that's significant. And so, I mean, I, I think they have the makings of a really good offense here. Yes, they have to put it together, but, but I think it's there to be done. And, you know, no, to your point, they, they don't have necessarily a lights out arm. McCade Brown is a, a good player to, to highlight as somebody who could take a nice step forward this year and become something like that. Uh, but that's also – Correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's been a, a point of discussion with Jeff Mercer, you know, kind of publicly saying that they want to find some guys with better stuff uh, going forward to to take the next step as a program. And you know, if they're able to do that, I mean, they have all the pieces at Indiana to become one of the the you know, not that they're not one of the premier teams in the league, but you know, they they have more track record than Michigan, you know, and there's no reason why they can't join Michigan on the level that the Wolverines ascended to a year ago. I, I don't think there's anything that's holding Indiana back from that perspective. 
So, you know, it, it's just kind of a matter of them taking the, the, the necessary steps and continue to improve uh, their recruiting to a point where, where they can, um, you know, compete on a truly national level. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good point you bring up and, and I'm with you. I, you know, I don't, um, I certainly don't, I'm not in the room whenever Jeff Mercer and his staff are talking about their recruiting board and, and what they see for the future. But I think that's right. I think that that is a goal to bring in. I mean, it's every, I guess, every coaching staff's goal in general, but I think, you know, it is something they're looking at doing to bring in some, some more high impact arms. I think it's maybe a case where when they, when they came in, there was a good group of really productive arms already there that were kind of proven. And it's a matter of... Yeah, I think of, the previous staff was kind of recruiting to control over stuff. And it worked, by the way. I mean, that's yes. the thing is like, you take a guy like Polly Milto, who the first time I saw Polly Milto was like, okay, this is, this is a nice arm and he's just kind of a guy. And I'm not suggesting that he, you know, he did not turn into, you know, he was not Tommy Henry or Carl Kaufman. However, he was a really good pitcher for Indiana for a long time. So uh, it worked. And, and I think, so I think Jeff Mercer comes in and kind of looks at, okay, this is working. Like if we want to continue, like he could have, I guess, blown the whole thing up, but instead, and I think this is smart instead, it was like, okay, how can we take what they're doing here, continue to win with it and kind of move it instead of trying to move it like a rowboat where we can just move it on a dime. Like, let's try to move this a little bit like a cruise ship or maybe not. That's quite. PJ Flex thing, row the boat. That's right. Ah, I'm mixing my big 10 metaphors here, but uh, you know, maybe he, rather than going for the quick fix and being like, let's just blow it up and start it off start things in our image it's hey let's let's win with something that's been working and let's kind of go about doing this in a more uh, measured way and um, look there's a lot of ways to, to skin that cat um, and you know what they're doing is working that's I mean that's the important thing to remember here so there is that and I'm with you about the offense I think it's just uh, as long as Jeff Mercer is there I think there's always going to be a high ceiling on that offense and you know they had a couple guys like Cooper Trinkle Ethan for Krumba who really highly regarded guys who came in that that just hadn't gotten their feet under them. And, you know, had they got off to hotter starts, you know, I think, it, um, you know, I probably would have had a different perception of it. And so I think there's little reason. Um, I think you're right in saying that I'm probably underselling the offense a little bit, just looking at the, the, the sum of the parts there as opposed to, um, you know, the, the, the potential there. So, um, and I think Jeremy Houston's a part of that to circle back. I mean, I, I, you mentioned the walks he draws, part of the reason I'm bullish on him offensively as well is that he doesn't strike out a ton. It would be one thing if he was up there having uncompetitive at bats. I think he has competitive at bats. And, and um, so I think there's, there is some bad luck. I mean, he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't bring a lot of power to the table. So it's not like he's going to run into balls every once in a while and, and ride it out of here. So that creates a little bit of a, a level of difficulty there, but he's putting the bat on the ball. He has good at bats and I, I, I'm always going to bet on a guy um, to outperform what he's done so far, if that's the case. So, um, I'm bullish on him being a part of the solution offensively moving forward. It'll be very interesting just to see where Indiana goes in the Big Ten this year. The Big Ten should be competitive as it as it always seems to be right at the top of the conference uh, when you consider Michigan, the Hoosiers. Um, I'll be interested to see what Ohio State looks like. They, they'll have the best pitcher in the conference uh, this year, and, and we saw what that did for Minnesota uh, you know, over the last two years. And, you know, so if Lonsway can, can really, uh, you know, continue to take a step forward, bodes well for, for the Buckeyes. And he's far from the only, you know, premium pitcher that, that the Buckeyes have. So interested to see what they look like. Maryland is continuing to build a lot of talent. Um, 
Minnesota loses Max Meyer, but you know they they remained a, a pretty old team, uh, and you know that there's you, you cannot discount Minnesota uh, any time in the Big Ten race. That they definitely have a habit of of finishing right at the top or near the top of the conference, and you know Iowa uh, you know returns a lot, and you know Illinois should be pretty good, and you know so the conference is good. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I'll be looking forward to seeing uh, what the Hoosiers look like and as uh, Jeff Mercer gets into his third season and, uh, you know, we see some of these, uh, these older players continue to make an impact there in Bloomington. One final thing, I know you may have been trying to just wrap this up here, but it, we'd be remiss if we did not uh, give credit to Jeremy Houston for his truly scorching hot take of not liking cheese. That takes a lot of bravery to put out there because like, that is not a popular opinion. I've known a couple people who are like that, but I love cheese. Most people I know like cheese, whether it's, you know, melty on a burger or paired with wine. Like people just like cheese. Uh, so shouts to him for having a little, you know, having the guts to really put that take out there because, you know, I can't imagine that's a popular take uh, just generally in his, in his life, much less to put it out there to all the people listening to this podcast. I also, you know, it's it's interesting that he uh, he chose such a, a basic sandwich. You know, we uh, when you, when you can describe any kind of sandwich as your favorite sandwich, you know, usually I would expect most people to go, you know, with something you know very specific or, or just very go big on it. You know, go full Dagwood. Uh, but the last two weeks here, Brian O'Connor went with the simple steak sandwich that he didn't really want much on it. Just really, he wanted the steak on the sandwich. Uh, you know, without a whole lot of, of anything else, I think he, he said onions. Um, and now Jeremy Houston w- went with a pretty basic sandwich as well. So, you know, if you, uh, you like what you like is, uh, is I guess the moral of the story there, but, you know, interesting in back-to-back weeks, we've gotten simple sandwiches and, you know, if you, if you get, you know, good stuff on your, your sandwich, just letting them breathe, letting them, you know, carry the, carry the product rather than asking a whole lot of, other toppings or dressings or whatever to, to make up for it. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's definitely something to be said for that. Best sandwich advice I ever got. It's going to make me sound like Dan Rubenstein here, but the best sandwich advice I think I've ever gotten is um, spend a little money on bread, like not on your, your day-to-day sandwich is fine. If you're just doing Turkey and cheese on the go, but like if you're, if you're going to do sandwiches, right, spend a little money on bread. Cause I think the bread really elevates the sandwich. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's uh kick around with, with that uh with a with a good piece of bread with with the rest of it because you know it is disappointing if you have the raw bread for your sandwich ultimately you know if, if it's falling apart or if it just isn't the texture isn't quite right i mean that that will ruin a sandwich so yeah gotta gotta make sure the foundation is right all right uh there's no easy transition between sandwich talk and uh our top 25 freshman list. Uh, so let's just switch gears, talk about uh, the top 25 fresh incoming freshmen to college baseball. We've we spent a lot of time talking about recruiting classes. I continue to break down recruiting classes uh, in several of the biggest conferences in the country, but Joe and I also took the time to just rank the 25 best individual freshmen uh, that are coming into college baseball this year. If you're just looking to like, not, not on a holistic, like what did this team bring in, but just like who are the future stars of college baseball. I think that's what this list is going to accomplish for you. 
So I'd encourage you to check that out over at baseballamerica.com. Uh, I'll tell you, Carson Montgomery, Florida State's right-hander, leads the list. You got Kevin Parada, Georgia Tech catcher, coming in at number two. Uh, Chase Davis, Arizona outfielder. Um, Dylan Cruz, LSU outfielder. Some of the other top guys there. Joe, as we were putting this together, did you learn anything? Were there any big takeaways for you from there? Uh, I I'm excited to see all these players in college baseball. Uh, you know, having dealt with them a lot in recruiting rankings and draft rankings over the last year. It's going to be fun just to be able to cover them as college baseball players and not have to think about, you know, future draft or draft or are they going to come to college or any of the rest of that. They're here now, and uh, I'm just excited to see them in a college uniform. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I mean, it, this was like another – we've talked about this before with, with doing the, the you know, um, early top 25 rankings and then looking at recruiting a little bit and maybe – talking a little about the fall and, and all these different pieces have been little, little bits of information to get me excited about the season. And this was another one of those things. I did have a few takeaways from it because ultimately, you know, you obviously had a lot more visibility to this than I did because you had done the recruiting rankings and it will be no surprise to anyone that most of the players on this list were part of a top 25 recruiting class. Cause that's, that's how that works. If you have good players, you can have a good recruiting class. So, um, so you've done a lot of legwork here. For me, there was a little bit of discovery going on where some of these, you know, it really kind of gave me a different way to look at these recruiting classes. And so one of, one of my big takeaways is that I continue, and I think, you know, I, I think I noted this when we podcasted about the recruiting rankings, is that I kind of continue to underrate what Arizona has done here, that they have three of the, of the top 25 players. Now, just one of them, Chase Davis, is in the top five. The other two are in the 20s with Daniel Susack at, at 20 and TJ Nichols at 21. But uh, that's three of the top 25, which is really rarefied air. Uh, there are a couple of schools. Miami, obviously, has, they have three in the top, let's see, 11, because Yohandi Morales is 11. So that's obviously more impressive. But we've talked a lot about Miami and what that recruiting class could mean. And they were big winners of the draft because of that. And those guys are going to have opportunities right away because of the attrition. But I feel like I at least personally had not really given Arizona enough credit for what they've done with this recruiting class. I know being that it was fourth in your rankings is, is the best they've ever done. So you've clearly, you know, given them that credit, but I don't think it had really, had really landed for me at, at what they had done here and what it could mean for Arizona in 2021. Cause I mean, they, they do have some losses there, Matthew Dyer and, and Austin Wells chief among them, but they've also got a lot of talent back. That team's going to be really, really good. And, and I, I maybe need to adjust my expectations for what these freshmen can do to really elevate that team. It's going to be interesting to see what they do out there in Tucson. Um, you know, we have Chase Davis, like I just said, ranked very highly here. I think Arizona might be more excited about Susac and Daniel Susac is, is their incoming catcher. And you know, that's not any slight on Chase Davis, who they like an awful lot and who they're very excited to have. But having just lost Austin Wells and Matthew Dyer behind the plate, I think Arizona still feels pretty confident in its catching position because they were able to bring in Susak, whose older brother played for Nate Yeske at Oregon State and, uh, you know, went on to, to catch in the big leagues. You know, I don't know precisely what he's going to provide offensively this year, but it does seem like by all accounts, Daniel Susak is pretty ready to go defensively. 
And so that, that getting that in, having lost what they lost, getting that kind of player in is, is very important to them. And so I, I think that's a, that's a huge get for them. Chase Davis has all the tools to be a really outstanding outfielder for them for the next few years. So interested to see uh, what he looks like there. He's just so dynamic. And then TJ Nichols, um, you know, I don't, he, he could do a lot of things on the baseball field. I don't know exactly how Arizona is going to use him. Uh, I don't know that they know yet, but it's going to be interesting, whatever he does, uh, because again, he can impact the game in, in so many different ways. He can impact it on the mound. He can impact his plate. He can move around defensively if he is a position player. So uh, a, a lot to be said for, for just bringing that kind of athlete in. And I think his best you know, upside is on the mound, but you know, even within that, how do they use him this year and, and, and how does he develop over the next few years? Uh, very interested to see. And, you know, looking at this just doing this i was like did i rank arizona too low at four and you know so if you're dropping in and reading this and you haven't read the recruiting rankings and you wonder like it's right, so why is arizona four uh you know lsu has two players on the list and, and so does vanderbilt through the two teams you know between miami and arizona and um i definitely you know they, they both have i think deeper classes than arizona and you know i it's also just one of those things that if we, like you said, Joe, that Arizona has two players in the 20s here. If we had done a top 50, you would have seen more LSU, more more Vanderbilt players. But uh, to just see this, just to see that, th- this trio of, of Wildcats on there uh, is a lot of reason to be excited about Arizona, both in, in 2021 and moving forward. The other thing that I noted was because, because I'm me, I kind of scroll on this list and like, let me find schools that are not like the others here. So <laughs> you've got a lot of blue blood here. Um, you know, even in a, you know, having, you know, Stanford is not always the school, not always a school often, but not always the school that has a guy like Drew Bowser, but that's still pretty normal uh, historically in college baseball. So, but then you get down to number 16 with Mason Miller at Florida Gulf Coast. And I don't mean to put you a little bit on the spot here. And maybe you, maybe you just don't know, but, Players of his caliber do not typically end up at a place like Florida Gulf Coast, which to be fair to Florida Gulf Coast is a good program. And is, I don't know if you ever heard of Chris Sale, then you've heard Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, they've got some history here, but they're not typically pulling in players who would be on this list. Was this a matter of they were in on Mason Miller and Mason Miller got a lot better or was something else happening here? It just it does seem so a I little know, bit out of step. Yeah, I don't know Mason Miller's full recruiting history I can tell you there was a time he was committed to Miami I don't know what happened obviously Miami is has plenty of arms uh in this class themselves I I don't know what happened why he flipped uh but I can tell you there there was a time that Mason Miller was committed to Miami and I can also tell you that in a normal year um I'm sure the expectation was that he was not going to you know, that, that he was going to sign. Uh, he ranked like 110 on the BA 500. Uh, players in that range pretty typically signed. It's not unusual to see a player like that in college, but it, you know, if you're putting a, a percentage on it, it's, it's a fairly high one that that player ends up in pro ball. But the draft being what it was this year, uh, he ends up in college and Gulf Coast has... Uh, another really, really talented lefty. Um, you know, something that I was struck 
both doing this list and doing recruiting rankings uh, is just how well the Florida schools overall did this year. Um, Florida State, Florida, Miami, um, you know, Florida and Miami top five classes, Miami number one overall, Florida State number 11, Florida International number 25, UCF, I put in the next 10, uh, FGCU gets a, you know, very high-end recruit. Um, you know, FAU brought in uh, some some good talent. I haven't dug on USF's class yet, but I'm sure that I'll be relatively impressed by what I see there. You know, I it, it I guess it's not that surprising that if the draft is shortened, uh, you know, Florida schools are going to benefit. They tend to recruit in-state kids. Florida high school kids tend to be very good. It's it's a hotbed of baseball, so I you know it all tracks that they would be uh, beneficiaries from what happened there. Uh, but but seeing it all laid out on paper, it is very impressive. I think what the Florida schools overall have brought in this year. Yeah, I think that does make a little bit of sense because normally you'd get kind of that discrepancy where all those Florida schools are recruiting heavily in their home state because of, of course, why wouldn't you? And, you know, some percentage of the kids going to Florida, FSU, Miami, and then, you know, um, you know, th those three schools in particular are going to decide, you know, I actually want to, you know, I, I want to get to camp. Like I have an opportunity to sign. I'm, you know, going to get drafted, but it's, it's not going to be, I'm not a first round or even a fifth round or a 10th round pick, but I'm, you know, I'm going to have an opportunity to play pro baseball, but instead I'm going to go to college. Um, you know, those decisions get made. Whereas for schools like, um, you know, FIU actually has done a pretty good job of getting some of these kids to campus. They always seems like they have a kid or two who's in this neighborhood here getting to campus, but schools like, certainly like FAU and Florida Gulf Coast and to a certain degree UCF and, and USF oftentimes aren't getting as many of those types of kids, not just because they recruit fewer of them, because that is also true, but like, let's, let's be honest about the situation. There's a lot more drawing a kid to Florida, FSU or Miami than there are to some of these mid-major and below schools, just because, you know, you're going to have a realistic shot to win a national title on any given year at those schools maybe not quite to that same extent at those at the smaller schools. And as much as you might like that coaching staff or like the idea of going there, or what have you, there's just not going to be as much to tip the scale in that direction. So in a year when there were a lot more kids who were in that range, who just weren't even given the option to sign, it, it makes some sense that those kids would, um, you know, kind of overrepresentatively end up at some of those schools. Whereas the FSU's Miami's and, and Florida's of the world's lost some kids to the draft because they are, you know, just recruiting in a little bit, a little bit nicer neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you I'll, I'll be interested to see how, you know, that all develops. Uh, it's not like the, the Florida schools overhaul needed a, uh, a boost in the talent they were bringing in. Uh, but, you know, it, it could make for some very competitive, you know, midweek games, series, what have you, over the next few years. Again, not that they weren't that way already, but just to have so much injection uh, or such a big injection of talent into so many of these schools that this year, uh, it sets them all up very well for, for the next few. And I'll, uh, I'll be very excited to see 
how that transpires on the field. All right, so you can, uh, like I said, check out the full top 25 on the website and start getting excited uh, for the uh, freshman of the year race. Joan and I did not make this out to be like a early freshman of the year watch list. Uh, there was a lot of future value incorporated here. Uh, but, you know, it is fair to say that probably the, the biggest contenders for freshman of the year, uh, at least among the newcomers, would be included in, in this list. That's actually not something we've really discussed much, Joe, and we're not, certainly not going to do it on air right now. Uh, but how we handle freshman of the year uh, with the red shirts or second year freshmen, whatever we're going to end up calling them at the end of the day, uh, they are they're certainly going to complicate any uh, or, or be involved in uh, any freshman of the year and freshman All-America uh, discussions over the course of the spring. Yeah, that, that'll be um, one of, I suspect, a million different little philosophical conversations we have to have about how we approach things given the way college baseball is going to going to work in 2021. There, there's been interesting conversation about what do we call the classes, and it seems like the NCAA has maybe clarified that a little bit, you know, just kind of as we're recording this. But I found, I don't know about you, but I found in most of my conversations with coaches that they typically – um, if they put a qualifier on anything and not all coaches are putting qualifiers on classing their players, but typically what they'll just call them is like a COVID junior. Like they, it's COVID. Which I point. absolutely hate. But I mean, that just seems, seems to be the way that the, the, the coaching industry has gone with classifying players. I, like, I don't think point. it's just coaches. Like I think the players are calling themselves that like, I just, it's, yeah. It's it, not is one, me. it is one of those things that like, no matter what, you or I or any other media entity or the NCAA or whatever decides to call it, I think the players and coaches are just going to kind of develop their own nomenclature around it. And we're just going to have to ride with it. Yes, that is definitely correct. And there's also going to be no consistency here because the NCAA can't like force any school to call their players any one thing. There are schools that like won't publicly put red shirts on their rosters until the player actually needs the red shirt and all the rest of this. Um, so yeah, the, if you're, if you're just looking at rosters, whether, you know, it's a team that your, your favorite team is going to be playing or you're just looking through some leaders or whatever, you're going to see some different uh, classifications over the, the course of the year here. So uh, we'll be consistent, but just be forewarned. If you wander off into individual team pages, it's not necessarily going to be consistent from one team to another. All right, so with that, we're going to uh, wrap up this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts, uh, you can find us. Please subscribe, please rate, please review. We appreciate all of that. And it helps other people to, to find the podcast as well, which uh, again, we very much appreciate. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. You can find all the work over at baseballamerica.com. We appreciate all of our subscribers. Uh, and everyone that's just been sticking with us uh, throughout this extended college baseball offseason. We're going to continue 
you know, writing stuff, recording this podcast, you know, doing whatever we can to, uh, to keep bringing college baseball uh, into your lives uh, as, uh, as we get ready for opening day of the 2021 season. So we'll be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week. I want to thank my bookie for sponsoring this podcast. And thanks again to Rapsodo for presenting the podcast. Again, check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. Thank you to Jeremy Houston for joining us today. Thank you guys for listening. And for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.